Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes. I'm your regular host, and my co-host, Caleb Jenks, is somewhere in Texas without a video camera. Uh, So he has been coming in and out. He's a little spotty, so we're waiting for him to get that fixed up, and we're going to bring him in live to the conversation. So today is March 13th, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. And uh, please be sure to join us next week when we discuss how tithing works. So if we here at Bible Thumper have not made you mad at us yet, tune in next week and we'll have a real good chance to push you over the edge and, and make sure you're upset with us when we discuss what the Bible says about tithing and how that works. Also, This week only, we are having a giveaway. So this is exciting. For any of you that are joining us tonight, whoever writes in with the best question gets one free roll of toilet paper. Now, that might seem like a lousy gift to a lot of you, but not to some of us here in Western Colorado. I think Caleb's dealing with the same thing down in Texas. And I had a couple friends from California I was talking about, and they're certainly dealing with it. And then I have some family up in Seattle, and that's not a lot of fun. And there are a bunch of bare shelves uh, in the grocery stores and the Walmarts all over the country. And one of the things, for some reason, that everyone is buying up a bunch of is toilet paper. And I just want to applaud the stupidity of America for going out of their way to buy something like toilet paper when they think the end of the world is coming. Not beans or rice, not bottles of water, but toilet paper. So with that, please, if you are out there and you're watching us tonight, be sure to comment, write us in a question, and we certainly want to answer that question. And if you give us the best question, uh, I, Patrick Hayes, will personally mail you one brand new not individually wrapped, roll of toilet paper. With that being said, Caleb looks like he's in, so I'm going to count him in here, and we're going to jump in and get to the topic tonight. Caleb, welcome. Real quick, is anyone alive in Texas? Are you the only one? I've been watching the news, and my understanding is you are all dead. So it's encouraging to see that you are alive. Is your wife and your three daughters alive? Yeah, we, I think we've not tested positive yet, but I'm pretty sure we've all got coronavirus. Um, I, well, I, coughed, I coughed a couple times yesterday, so I'm pretty sure it's going down. I've been standing in line at every McDonald's and Burger King and Dunkin' Donuts in Western Colorado just to cough on the person in front of me to see their reaction. It's been the most fun I've had in years. So, tonight we are discussing, I don't even remember... Let me see. Here it is. Does Patrick have to be saved to go to heaven? Oh, making it personal. Do I have to be saved to go to heaven? Is there any other way? Now, Caleb and I were concerned that this might be a short conversation, not too much to talk about. So we're certainly going to count on all the folks at home to write in a good question uh, that we can get to. Louie, coming in strong. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons. That is question number one, followed up with, where's my toilet paper? Thank you. Louie, I appreciate that. 
the answer is we don't know if Adam and Eve had belly buttons. They certainly didn't need them because the belly button appears because you're attached to the umbilical cord, uh, which attaches you to the placenta of your mother. Uh, okay, so you just said, I'm pretty sure you just said unbiblical cord. Oh, <laughs> it is. It is certainly an unbiblical cord. <laughs> okay, Christy K is joining us. Welcome, Christy. So, Caleb, uh, do you do you want to jump in and tell the audience? Do you have to be saved to go to heaven? Is there any other way? Well, uh, tell them the bad news. Yeah. So, good news is yes, and the bad bad news is. No, there never has been another way, and there isn't another way to this day, from what I understand, if I read it right. Um, Acts 16.31, this, this is the whole reason that we have a New Testament, the whole reason that the apostles went out and put their lives on the line was to say to uh, trust in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. So the whole you shall be saved thing without trusting in the Lord Jesus seems to be an impossibility, from what I understand. Caleb, let me ask you something. I, I mean, seriously, what I understand the idea of not wanting to follow Jesus. I understand the idea of not wanting Jesus to be Lord of your life, meaning turning your will over to him and doing his will instead of your own. I get all that. But why on earth do non-saved people struggle so hard with the idea that Jesus is God and receiving him as your savior? The work he did on the cross, being born again, as Jesus calls it in John chapter 3. Why do people fight against that? Why do people want another way? Why do they want it to be anything but Jesus? What do you think? Well, it's kind of it's kind of crazy when you when you get into that. Um, I actually I've gotten into some heated debates on Facebook with this before. And what? I'm sure you all came away with a deep respect for one another and a profound understanding of each other's beliefs. I, I'm still friend. I'm still friends with, uh, with every, everyone that I've discussed this on, but um, sometimes you, sometimes you get to the end of the road with the discussion. Um, so here's, here's the, the problem. It seems like humans love to have achievements that we can achieve on our own. And the problem with salvation is that it's really nothing that, that we are doing on our, on our own so that we don't really have any bragging rights just because we're saved. doesn't really give us any, any reason to, to uh, feel that we have some sort of accomplishment. We're still a complete loser that doesn't, doesn't deserve eternal life. And yet we have the hope of eternal life because of the fact that Jesus has taken our place and, and been punished for us. So I understand why people tend to complicate the issue and it becomes, um, it, well, uh, yeah. So I have a friend that made a post at one point. I'm not going to, I'm not going to elaborate on the post, but it was just indicating that somehow, somehow certain people don't actually have to be saved to go to heaven based off of their background, their bloodlines and that type of thing. And I, I mean, I just thought it was kind of an ironic thing to thing to say now. Um, what I will say is that, like like what you said, Patrick, there's plenty of other things that are difficult to swallow, holiness, separation, obedience to God, other things like that that Christians believe. But salvation, it's, it's simply trusting Jesus. So what's so bad? What's so bad about that? It's just coming to the end of ourself and saying, I'm not good enough. And so we're trusting Jesus. Okay, let me give you an idea here. So the, the funny thing to me 
is that pagans, heathens, non-saved people, they associate salvation with the act of turning one's will and life over to the care of Christ. And it's funny because Christians are the ones who want to get saved and then not allow God to be the Lord of their life. They're the ones that fight against it and, and make the arguments that it's not necessary that we obey God in the Bible, but it's actually the pagans that have it right. They understand that when you get saved, along with that, you are supposed to, doesn't always happen, especially right away, but you are supposed to invite God to be the Lord of your life and follow his will at the same time. Right. Yeah, so, so when I hear somebody say that they've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior in their life, I always, I always think of that as there's actually a difference between him being just your Savior and being Lord as well. There's, um, I think we can run into a problem if we don't realize the fact that just because we have accepted him as our Savior doesn't mean that, um, that he's automatically Lord of our life unless we allow him to take that position of actually, of actually being the decision maker, being, being the Lord of our life. And you know, I, I agree with everything you're saying there. There, there is certainly a difference between salvation and then turning your will and your life over to the care of God. I, I, right. I agree 100% with that. And a lot of times, maybe it takes a little while and the person gets into the Bible and the Holy Spirit starts convicting them. And then all of a sudden they're ready to do that. And they, they make the step and they say, you know what? I, I want to be a true Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit, which doesn't, I don't know about you. Okay, but I can't say that that happened the moment I got saved. Right. Sorry, please oh, yeah. continue. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's the, that's the, the thing that I was going to say is that just because somebody's saved, a born-again believer, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to see an overnight transformation in their life, especially in the case where they've accepted Jesus as Savior of their life, but yet they're they're continuing to walk and trying to control everything. I mean, I've I've seen that so much in my life where, as a Christian, I've continued to try to keep everything in control and areas that I knew God wanted me to lay down rather than choosing to say that, God, I'm just going to quit trying on this and give it over to you. I kept trying to do it my way, which I thought was the best way. And pretty soon my life's a train wreck. And so sometimes just because we're a Christian and, and we don't have this overnight transformation where everything is hunky dory, I sometimes look at that and I'm like, well, maybe it's Maybe well, and I think sometimes even when when we do have him as Lord of our life and we've given it over to him, we do still have trials and and hard times that are going to come about. But sometimes when you look at people's life, it's like, man, if you just quit trying to run your life and let God run it, submit to you know, there's so much in the Bible. And yes, maybe it's not salvation issues, but there's so many promises in the Bible that we get when we walk in obedience to God, and those promises are actually um, limited by our action of obedience to God. We aren't going to receive those those promises from God without our action. And not that that has to do with salvation, but it certainly has to do with receiving God's blessing and, and having that transformation in our life. Hmm. You know, something else to remember is that just like we can give our life and our will over to the care of God, we can all also take that back. And the reason that I struggle with sin is that my flesh is powerful and my spirit is weak and I am at war. That's the, that's the term Paul says. And, and that, that resonates with me when I, when I read that description of the flesh and the spirit and fighting and being at war, that made total sense. 
And when I do poorly and I'm not close to God and I'm not doing God's will, it's very simple. I took my life back and I'm trying to run it my way and do my will instead of giving it over to God. Now, I got something for you because when we were talking about, okay, so just to try to stick to the topic or at least get back to it vaguely, as far as being born again, uh, this is the story that came up to me. The story that uh, uh, jumped out to me was one where in Second Kings chapter 5, Elijah sent a messenger over to Naaman, and Naaman was told that if he wants to be cleansed, all he has to do is he has to go and dip himself in the river seven times and bada bing, bada boom, you're going to be cleansed. And the guy was mad. He was, he, he was upset. He had this pride and he thought that surely Elijah, the man of God, was going to come out and whatever, wave his arms and say some magic words. Or I don't know what he was expecting, but he was expecting something maybe more theatrical. And he didn't like the fact that Elijah just said, just go dip in the river and come on back and you'll be fine. And he actually fought that. And one of his servants, I believe, if I'm not mixing up the story, I'm not going to try to read it right now. But one of his servants said to him, what's the problem? All you have to do is go to the river and you're going to be clean. Why are you fighting this? Just go get in the river and be done with this. And I look at the same thing with salvation. Yes, you have to be born again. Why? Because Jesus said so. When Jesus was questioned about it, Jesus related salvation to a one-time irreversible event, which was physical birth. And that is why we are called the children of God. A lot of people mix that up. Every single person on earth is not the child of God. We might all be uh, vaguely called the creation of God, uh, not a direct creation like the angels or Adam and Eve, but certainly a creation of God. But we're not the children of God until we get saved. That's why Jesus explained how to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Well, you can only pray our Father if you're one of his children. I'm getting off the point here. The point is, Jesus made it clear the only way to get to heaven is through him. He's the door. He's the way. He even says, uh, and now I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up. Uh, for I, he is the, the way, the truth and the light. No man come onto the father, but by me. And you know, something that was just brought up to me a little while ago was how many doors were in the ark? Noah's ark. Well, just one, right? Just one. Okay. How many, how many doors were in uh, the tabernacle? One. Again, just one. And the funny thing is that uh, neither of those things ever mentioned that there was an exit. Now, I understand you could say you walk into the tabernacle. Everyone didn't just live there. You walk back out. I get that. But the point is the Bible only talks about the entrance. It never talks about the exit. Okay. You go into the ark. You go into the tabernacle. And it is a door and there's one of them and that's it. So you bring up, I was going to, I was not going to get into this, but since you, uh -oh. since, since you went there, so here's an interesting thing. Patrick and I agree on, on salvation with one simple, one simple difference. Um, and, but you brought something, a couple things up just now that are really interesting. I never really thought of as far as it's kind of a one way street in and not back out. Mm hmm and you've mentioned that before in our conversations about being born again and how once you're a child, you cannot, it doesn't matter how far away you're still, that you run, you're still that child. Um, so you brought up something interesting, which I, I'm just kind of curious how this works and maybe it works into um, what I, kind of my thoughts on it. But 
as far as somebody accepting him as Lord or, or giving him lordship over, over their life and then taking, being able to take that back. So you would feel that because of him being Lord of our life, that's a, an act of obedience more so than just an act of, of belief, of faith, that that's something that by someone not walking in obedience to God, that they can sort of take their life back in that area. But the salvation aspect of it is a, is a one-time deal. Yeah, I would compare it to a child being obedient or disobedient to the parent. When they are born of the parents, they have 50% of the DNA of mom and 50% of the DNA of dad, and they're their parents, and we can prove that scientifically, and there's nothing they can do to ever change that. Now, whether they want to be an obedient or disobedient child, they get the choice. They can certainly do that. And all of us have been in that realm, both literally with our parents, and then after we grow up and we 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 read the Bible for ourselves and we realize we're a sinner and we get saved and, and God is our father. I think all of us experience the same thing where there are times when I feel like a real disobedient child. And there are other times where I feel like I really made my father proud today, but neither of those things make me not the child. I might just be a rotten one. You see, and, and keep in mind, Caleb, have you ever been out in public with your kids and your kids brought shame and embarrassment to you where you felt like just turning around and walking away and hoping someone else, you know, didn't realize that they were your kids that just did that. Cause I have, well, you have boys, I got girls. It's totally, <laughs> it's totally different, but no. they're, they're still your kids and you're still going to put them in the car and take them home at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Even though they mistook the toilet at home Depot that was on display as a real one on a Saturday afternoon. Is this a true story? Is this just a hypothetical? <laughs> no, I think I saw it in the funny pages in the newspaper or something, but I, I thought, man, I could sure see a bunch of kids doing that. Wow. Yeah. So that's um, something that I I've seen coming from a second, second generation Christian family and, and knowing a lot of, uh, second generation Christians that uh, somewhat alarmed me and I've tried to be careful of as a, as a parent. Now this is a little bit different between me and God, because even when, when we love our children, it's still, our love is like hate compared to God. And so obviously we are, uh, it's no comparison, my love to my children, but I did notice something that, that was interesting to me about my, um, so something that I noticed in my childhood growing up and other people that I've seen with their children, where there was some inconsistency in the expectation of the children based off of the surroundings. So they were at home, the quiet of their home, they could get away with a lot more. But when they were out in public, the parents would get embarrassed and, and lash out at the children. And I've started to realize that, that God doesn't treat us that way as, as his children. He sees us all the time. And so I think this is hopefully to, in agreement with what you're saying, that just because somebody is is a child of God and they're disobedient to him, even sinning, um, making the wrong choice, that God isn't going to just all of a sudden turn turn around and reject us if we if you know if if we love him. And I didn't I didn't come on here to 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 argue this point, which obviously you and I've been over before, but um, I view salvation as a as a very as as a current present thing not as something that happened 10 years ago or 20 years ago and i could be wrong on this but to me when i don't see anything in the bible where it says you know anyone who believed 
on him as a past tense word, but anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus shall be saved. All of those promises to me, I see as a current thing. So there are, I was actually at an apologetics conference recently in Dallas and it was, uh, it was a really good apologetics conference, but I was very alarmed by one of the speeches and I, I haven't brought this up to you, but I, I'll just run it by you because in the past, I've kind of wondered how would this hypothetical work on salvation if it's one time irreversible thing. And again, I'm not trying, I'm not going to devote too much time on this, this whole thing. Go ahead, jump on eternal security. But um, if it's a one time irreversible thing, would that, would that apply to someone who walks away from God? And obviously uh, John, I think it's John chapter 10, verse 28 says that no one can pluck us out of Jesus's hand. Um, and so obviously there is that security that no one else is going to come in and steal that. But I've wondered for someone that walks away, somebody who wants, someone who becomes an atheist, someone who, um, maybe becomes pretty deep in sin, unrepentant sin, that they seem to make no effort to, uh, reverse in any way, say they're a, uh, a murderer, a pedophile, something, something along those lines, a rapist. And they and they never seem to show remorse for that, and they continue um, rejecting God till their death. Did their salvation, that you know, a conversion experience that they had twenty years ago, forty years ago, ten years ago, however long ago it was in the past, does that still count for them if they've rejected Jesus? Jesus said, "Anyone who rejects me, uh, I I will re- reject before my Father." And so I've, I've kind of wondered about that at times. So this, this pastor stood up. He was actually the pastor of the host church that this conference was at. So all the speakers came in and they had sessions. And this one session was on suicide. And I never really thought about this, but it was an interesting, it was an interesting question. And this pastor's, he would believe in eternal security. And his um, brother committed suicide. Mm-hmm. He was a Christian. He, he, and his brother called him the night before he committed suicide and said, if I kill myself, am I still going to go to heaven? And so he walked him through the whole theology of it. And um, his brother went ahead and killed himself. And he believes that his brother's in heaven. Of course, I'm not blaming him for enabling his brother, but he asked, it was a room full of a lot of young people. And he asked, he, he told them that for teens between the age of nine and 17, I think it was the third most common cause of death is suicide in that age group. So he's saying how you're the most dangerous person to yourself above and beyond a criminal or anything. Um, accident, or maybe it was the second, second or third, um, accidental death, like vehicle accidents was the number one. And then I think the second one was suicide. Anyways, so then he asked for a raise of hands and there was probably two or 300 people that raised their hands saying that they knew someone who has been suicidal. Another couple hundred people that raised their hands and said that they knew someone who had committed suicide. And then at, I would say at least a hundred people raised their hands and said that they had been suicidal themselves. And so he, he said, you he probably wondered, here's the question, if I'm, if you're saved, can you commit suicide and still go to heaven? And he said, the answer is yes. And he went on to explain this. And so anyways, um, that was just another, another aspect of it that I thought was really interesting. And possibly I, I could see that carrying a liability to preach that if that, if that, if that were wrong, and this has always been my concern with this, I would really like it to be that eternal security is true because I have a lot of friends that are not walking with God, don't profess to be Christians anymore, but they were in the day, back in the day. So what's your answer to some of those? Because I think you've, you've kind of been over some of this, but not the suicide thing. 
No, that's fine. And honestly, well, I mean, I don't think there's any need to, I was thinking, oh, that'd be a good subject. We could go over suicide because it's, it's a subject that clearly has affected a lot of people's lives, you know, today, but I don't think we really need to hit that for a whole hour. Now, let me start with right. the, let me start with this. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try to use the Bible to answer this question because this is one of the most powerful points that I see that tell me, that tells me that I am saved. Okay. And first, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Oh, my phone's off. Okay. The, what, what you gain, what you cannot gain through moral perfection, you cannot lose through moral imperfection. Salvation is nothing I can lose because it's nothing I gained. Do you understand? See, I, it's like... I, I, I would agree as far as moral perfection. So, so, so uh, saying... You couldn't lose it because of sin. You're not going to lose your salvation because of sin. Because I didn't gain it through lack of sin. Right. And See, we, we agree on that. If you think about it, it's the same as getting an award. Okay. So you're, I don't know, you're given the Nobel Prize. Okay. Which today I look at as mostly just a joke. Right. But back in the day, it was very impressive. And if you, you know, you find out what, where it came from and the history behind it. It's very interesting. And, and, and it used to be uh, a, a great honor. Okay. Now it's politicized and it's just, it's, it's pathetic to me. I'm getting off track. If you are awarded the Nobel prize, are you able to say at any point, I am not a Nobel prize winner? See the gift was bestowed upon you. The award was bestowed upon you. So therefore, the only one that would ever be able to take it away was the one that granted it to you. In the same way with salvation, Caleb, on, on a scale of zero to 100, give me the percentage that you had to do with your salvation. How much of it was up to you? Well... The decision ultimately was up to me to put my faith in Jesus. But then as far as the results of that decision is zero percent. Okay. I had nothing to do with it. So you were glad that the opportunity was there. And you you did believe in what you were told that Jesus is God, that you're a sinner, that he made a way for you to have your sins forgiven, that him dying on the cross washed away all of your sins. You were excited to hear that news. And when they got to the end of the story and they said, okay, you want to pray with me? And we just, you know, confess that we believe that Jesus is God and he died on the cross and we would like to go to heaven. It almost sounded too easy. So as far as salvation goes, really, the only, you didn't do anything. You believed something. You agreed with what you were told. You made a decision, but all that was in your head. Would you agree that you did 0% to get saved? Right. At least you can see my point. Right. So in the, in the same way, that is how much you have to do with staying saved. It has 0% to do with you. Now, in John chapter 10, if I can just read two verses, I'll read three. My sheep hear my voice. Oh, I'm going to be in John chapter 10, verses 27, 28, and 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Okay, Jesus is talking there, right? Okay, whose hand are you in, are, are you in when you are saved? Jesus. You are in Jesus' hand. Does Jesus say that you are in his hand in verse 28? Yeah, your mic is almost completely gone. You're you're just coming in at a whisper. That's great. Has it been that way the whole time? No, only in the last minute. Good timing, by the way. Right when I'm about to nail home my point. Okay, so I'm just gonna assume that you're gonna agree that in verse 28, Jesus is saying that you are in His hand. That's what He's saying. Then in verse 29, we read, "My Father." which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So in verse 29, Jesus says you're in whose hand in verse 29, he says you're in the father's hand, right? So what you see is that there are two hands. Jesus has you in his hand. You are saved. You're his sheep. You know, his voice, no one can get you out of this hand. It literally says no man can get you out of this hand. For some reason, Christians want to think that they are excluded in the totality of the statement being any man. But you see, no man can pluck you out of my father's hand. Well, that includes me. I cannot get myself out of Jesus's hand. But not only that, I'm not only in Jesus's hand. I'm in the father's hand as well. There are two hands over me, Jesus and the Father. And people want to tell me that they're somehow able to get out of that, that God's nickname is Butterfingers. It just doesn't make sense to me. No man can get you out of my hand. Right. It's so, impossible. If it were, nobody would end up in heaven. So Absolutely mic, nobody. Is my mic working again now? It's a little better. You're at about 50%. Hold on. Nope. There you go. You sound good. Go ahead. Okay. Jump on in with your commentary. So, so I don't disagree with, but so if, if you don't mind, just for, for a minute, if you were to put it into, um, into the, the idea of it being a present thing instead of a one-time mm -hmm. thing in the past. And I, I realized that, I, I realized that this is an odd, an odd concept. If you, if you've always looked at the Bible that way, but I would agree that no one, including our, ourselves can pluck us out of his hands once that salvation is finalized. But to me, I look at the actual act of salvation being finalized at death. Okay. Not, so not, I, okay. Not so a, I agree. I just disagree with whose death salvation was finalized at the death of Christ. Right. Not my death. See, after I get saved starts the process of sanctification where the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and it talks about how he will guide and direct me and show me all things. And, and the Holy Spirit will continue to work on me and try to conform me to his image to make me more like Jesus. And that goes on up until the last stage, which is at death, which is glorification. 
And Paul talks about that when we will be changed, we will get a new body, we will no longer be in this sinful body, which is why we can stand in the presence of the Lord, which is why there is no sin in heaven. It's because God never tries to change our heart. He doesn't try to change our sinful body. He just gets rid of it. And he gives us a new one. So that's the idea is that salvation is at a point. Sanctification is the process. Glorification is at a point or is for eternity. All right. So I'm going to back, I'm going to back, back up off of this whole eternal security thing um, for a second. Mm -hmm. Um we got, we got, looks like we got a few people hopping in here on the comments, which I'm gonna have to take a minute to read here in a minute. But so my, this is, this is a way that I would, that I would say that salvation works is we were never good enough. Um, in, in the old Testament, in the new Testament, before Jesus, um, before his sacrifice, there had to be some, some way to atone for our sin. Obviously God requires holiness and there, we, we, our sin had to be atoned for. So Jesus took our place as a substitution for our, for our sin. And he was, he was um, given as the, as the final sacrifice that sums up all the sacrifices in the old Testament. When, when we accept that salvation from him, he imputes righteousness to us. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus standing in our, in our place. You and I think, I, I believe we completely agree on how, how salvation works with the exception of, um, with the with one exception so yeah and you're going to hit this response to johnny waldner and i would i would agree that that salvation is an active it's it's an act of god allowing our sins to be the, the penalty for our sins to be substituted by jesus and that means our our faith in jesus results in salvation through jesus and nothing else. If, if it takes, like you said, if it takes 1% of me, 2%, 3%, if, if any of it has to do with my good works, then all of a sudden I've completely derailed and I've gone off track. Go ahead. And let me ask you a quick question, Caleb. In the Bible, what does it call your good works? What does it compare your good works to? Okay, Caleb, what specifically is the Bible talking about when it says filthy rags? Sorry. You know, what does the Bible mean when it says filthy rags? All your righteousness are as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. What does that mean? It is saying. talking about used menstrual cloths. Okay. That say it means filthy rags. is the best that humans have to offer. That is the reason that it just never computes in my brain when people try to talk about how much good works are necessary for salvation and how without them it doesn't work. I say, do you have any idea the best thing you've ever done in your life? Do you realize what God compares that to? It is disgusting, unsanitary, horrible. That is the best thing Patrick Hayes has ever been able to produce for God. Yeah. So anyways, I agree with, I definitely agree in the, uh, I, I never heard that as far as the, uh, what filthy rags meant, but I would, I definitely agree that there's no, no amount of good that I can do. As soon as I start trying to trust in my good works to get me to heaven, all of a sudden I'm, I'm trying to save myself rather than letting Jesus and his blood save. His, his, Jesus's sacrifice is hundred percent enough. 
my point is not that somehow because I'm not a good enough person after I'm saved that I'm not going to go to heaven unless I'm a little bit better person. I believe the holiness is is a uh, act of it's sanctification sanctification that that God through His Holy Spirit allows us to become more like Him over time, and that that is completely separate from salvation. What I'm talking about is someone who rejects God and and walks away. Specifically, I'm using this as as an ex- extreme scenario, but it's to me it seems like it's it would honestly by us making this whole thing into this technical thing of saying, well, it was this one-time deal that happened way back when, and that we are now. <clears throat> Um, and I don't disagree with some of the, some of the analogies that are made there, but I don't think we can build doctrine around analogies. So a lot of these analogies, as far as the ark having one door or a father having children and they can't become unchildren or not children anymore. I don't think it's ever safe to build doctrine around analogies and all of the defenses that I've ever heard for, um, for eternal security are always built around analogies or on the, or on the understanding that salvation is a one-time thing that happened that that is that when it says believe in the lord jesus and you will you shall be saved none of the apostles ever talked about back when they got saved salvation was talked about as you shall be saved so to me i don't i don't see anything that ever refers to it as a one-time past tense and i could be wrong but my problem with it is do we preach a doctrine that carries carries the liability of telling somebody you can say a sinner's prayer then you can walk away from God. You can go do whatever dirty deeds you want in your life and never turn back to God and, and believe in him or ask him for, for forgiveness for those sins and believe oh, in him and trust. Okay. Him hold on. Hold on. You've been in church most of your life. How many times have you heard that message preached? The one you just said, because I've never heard that in my life. I've no, never heard a Christian go out of their way to explain that, especially to a brand new Christian. No, and we're going to use hypotheticals. Let's not use ridiculous ones. I mean, give me a, give me a break. So would you, would you agree though, that if somebody that an atheist that was a born again, Christian Mm -hmm. should, should reconsider turning back to Jesus before they die? Or do you think that they're eternally secure, even if they've rejected God, don't claim to believe in Jesus now, and they are living in a a credible amount of unrepentant sin. So what's your question in, in that? Would you, would you believe that their salvation is still secure because of their faith in Jesus that they had in the past. Absolutely. Okay. So that is the same hypothetical that, I mean, maybe you're not, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, so to speak, but I mm-hmm. have heard plenty of people give that same defense. Sure. Uh, so here's the question. Okay. Here's the question. What is the sin that is so great that the blood of Jesus cannot cover it? Go. Nothing. Okay. So are you saying that non-belief can still be covered by the blood of Christ after you are saved, you changed your mind. You went to some liberal art school in California and were surrounded by liberal hippie tree hugging pinko commie nut jobs. And you decided to get out of church and you decided that you didn't want to read the Bible and you started distancing yourself from God and you were embarrassed by the idea of Jesus and God and the Bible. And all of a sudden you, you, you wanted nothing to do with that. You're saying, are you saying that the blood of Christ cannot cover that? No, I'm not saying. So the only, the one and only sin that I actually know of that says it is would be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Um, mm-hmm. But the 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 fact of I'm not saying that that would be just the one unforgivable sin is not to say I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Okay. But the fact so, that Jesus says any that if we deny, I guess what do you what do you think of that? Do you think that someone who is a born again believer cannot deny 
Jesus and that you cannot deny us before his father. Because that's what no. I see it saying. Okay. Um, because, I mean, I've, I've heard people literally curse God and say, make fun of him, mock him. They were, they used to be a Christian. They're now an atheist. They don't believe in him and they will uh -huh. mock him. And I mm -hmm. think they're in a scary place where they could be one of these. But anyway, go ahead. Okay. Back so let me answer a couple questions. Okay. Liz, your sister brought up a couple points. I'm going to, I'm going to answer them both right here. Okay. Number one, what if they don't want the blood of Jesus to cover their sins anymore? And she also asked if we're permanently locked into Jesus and the father's hand, doesn't that remove free will? Yes. Yes, it does. But Liz, that shouldn't surprise you. There are lots of things in your life that you don't get to decide. You don't get to decide who your mom and dad are. You don't get to decide how tall you are, what color your eyes are. Those are all things that Jesus decided before eternity began. The idea that we made a decision to have Jesus be our savior, sorry, that's a life sentence. I don't know what to tell you. But yes, absolutely, free will, you can do whatever you want on this earth, but get ready, when you die, you're gonna stand before God and you're gonna enter into heaven. That's what it says. People might not like that, they might not agree with it, they might think that's crazy, that's fine. The book is full of crazy things. If we're trying to make everything in the Bible make sense or make us feel comfortable with it, I hate to tell you, you're not going to get very far. It, it's not going to happen. Yes, you absolutely don't get a choice after that. Once you are saved, that is it. You are locked in. You made the decision to do it. Okay. Christy right, K, so is, wait, wait, wait. I got a second question. Isn't that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Caleb, you asked the same thing. No. If you, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit happens prior to salvation. John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, capital C, talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world, not Christians, the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the lost people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They are sinners. God is righteous. There will be a judgment one day when they die. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help lost people become convicted, understand the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the judgment that is to come so that they can get saved. If you reject that, guess what? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You are calling him a liar because you are not willing to follow along with and believe what the Holy Spirit is leading you to. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. After you get saved, that has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it anymore. And it talks about that it is the message to the world. And then it goes on in the same chapter of John to talk about what the job of the Holy Spirit is to the believer, which is different than its job to the world. And we read about that. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that, that shall he speak of. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. Okay, the job of the Holy Spirit to the believer and the job of the Holy Spirit to the lost and dying world are totally different. Does that make sense? 
Hopefully that answers someone's question or at least gives them something to chew on. There are a lot of people commenting here that seem to think that good works are either necessary for salvation or necessary to stay saved. Don't worry about it. It is a popular belief with everyone in the world except for God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay, so if you read back through, most of those comments are actually not um, recommending good works for salvation. There are, are there are a couple in there that indicate that, and there are th there are scriptures in the Bible that talk about that as far as working out our salvation day by day with fear and trembling, um, and that's um, I I don't know I, I I don't know exactly, and I never claim to say that I have this whole salvation thing nailed down. What I do think that I do believe do know and, and can see without a doubt, and I think we all agree on, is that salvation is 100% necessary through Jesus and that without it, that we are definitely not going to heaven without without salvation. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't mean to come on here and just spend the whole time debating this whole eternal security issue. What I, what I, what the one question I would, I guess, leave you with Patrick with on Give that it is, is what, do you feel that it's, that there is some importance on actually is there some, is there some, how do I put this? Is there some sort of an economic benefit or a, or a reason to preaching that, to preaching that theology that it is a one-time thing? If, or, or do you think there's an, any chance you could be wrong? On this? Because I would say that I think either of us could be wrong on it because I see scripture indicating it could possibly be both ways. There's plenty of warnings about not falling away and sure. not, and okay. so to me, those would all be pretty much negated if it was this whole entire one time you say, you say a sinner's prayer, you believe in the Lord Jesus. And at that point, I mean, what's the point in even going to church, except it will be nicer, more friendlier Christians, but we're all going to heaven in the meantime. So why not just go out and do whatever the heck you want between now and then? And okay. obviously you won't have God's blessing, but you're still going to heaven. Well, first of all, you know the answer to that, Caleb. Why don't you do that? I don't do that because I love God. Right. Okay, so I get asked that question by the Mennonites all the time, and they think that if someone believes in eternal security, then we're all going to the strip clubs and the bars and go. I mean, that's it's insane. That is insane. There are Christians all over the world that believe in eternal security, and we want to be obedient because we love God and we're grateful for what God did for us. Not to mention that we realize when we sin, our life's a mess, and when we obey God, our life is wonderful. I think it's Deuteronomy, uh, I want to say 31, maybe it's chapter 38, where the entire chapter is nothing but the explanation of God. Uh, going through the Bible and saying, look, if you do this and you do this and you do this, then you're blessed. And if you do this and you do this and you do this, then you're cursed. Here, 28. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Read the whole thing. It goes over like a dozen blessings if you obey God. And it goes over like 50 or 60 curses if you disobey God. That's part of the reason that I want to obey God. I love him and I like my life being blessed instead of cursed. Okay. With that, if you start, because Caleb, you, you just brought up you just brought up a verse, um, and I forgot what it was. And please forgive me. <clears throat> Talking about how um, uh, I'm not even going to try to misquote it right now. Se several ideas have been brought up, but the idea once you once you establish the idea that uh, once you are saved, it cannot be undone. You cannot be unborn. You cannot be unsaved. 
okay, Jesus doesn't come down off the cross. His blood doesn't dry up and go away. Once you have that idea, then you realize that all these verses are talking about the person falling away, not of salvation, falling away from God. That's the prodigal son. And that's why Jesus went through the whole story. Why did, why is the most popular story in the Bible for some reason People cannot equate that to salvation. They don't see that the, the son decided to go off and there was a good son and then the father went looking for him and it was a big joyous occasion that he came home and ended up being the son again. And people can't see that that is what it's talking about when it's talking about falling away. You fall away from God. You decide to do your own will. You get into a mess. You go down the road of sin, which I hate to tell you, but over and over and over again, I can't get it through my head. How do people think that sin is going to somehow get you away from God? Who, who in our audience is sinless? Who out there is the one thinking, well, I don't sin and I'm safe. Okay, And keep in mind the idea of going away from God and unbelief in God. Do you realize that unbelief in God is the natural, is the natural conclusion on the road away from God in the Bible and prayer? That's where everybody ends up. That is where doubt lives. You get on that road, you start driving away from Bible and prayer and going to church and Christian fellowship and all those things and obedience with God. And guess where you end up? You end up in the place where you doubt. You end up in the place where you wonder and you question. That is where you end up. That is, that, that's the location. Right. So no, once you have the idea set and you understand that you cannot lose your salvation, then you start to realize that all these verses, they're not talking about losing, losing your salvation. They're talking about when it says falling away, it's falling away from God's good grace. It's talking about falling away from a close, intimate relationship with God, which is more a Christian out of fellowship with God is more miserable than any sinner who has never known. Him. Okay. Yeah. So I said, like a couple of quick follow up on that. I definitely want to get off this subject. Yeah, um, it seems so, like you're trying real hard to get off this subject. No, we've, we've only got 10 <laughs> minutes left and I did not mean to. Pay <laughs> this is one aspect of it. But anyways, um, so the the idea that we need to that that my that my reason for warning somebody against walking in disobedience to God and and um, going I, I agree with you. What I do should be out of love for God. I'm not earning my way to heaven. And we don't use that as a carrot and a stick approach to say, hey, if you don't do it the way that we tell you at church, then you, you could lose your salvation. I'm not saying that we use it as a, as the carrot and the stick approach and use. Some churches do. And you I, do I, understand, I understand that. Okay. And I understand that there are those that do. All right. So I'm not saying that we walk in obedience to God out of force or out of obligation in order to earn salvation. And I'm not saying that we should use that as the carrot and stick approach. What I what I am concerned about is if this was wrong, mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is a false doctrine. I'm just saying mm -hmm. it carries a huge liability if it were wrong. It I'm just wondering, is there any major benefit to to get putting this whole idea of salvation into this technical box and saying, I can guarantee you that as long as you said the sinner's prayer, you are going to heaven no matter what you ever do. I've come to the conclusion that I could be wrong and I would hate to be standing before God as as someone who preached that to people and they ended up living in sin, never, never turning back to God, rejecting God and saying, I don't even believe in God. I'm an atheist. Then they get to the end of the road. And Jesus says, nay, you, you, you rejected me before, you know, you rejected me before men. I've rejected you before my father. Um, and depart from me for, I never knew you. I mean, to me, I, I see enough in there that I, that to me, I just th think that it carries a liability. So I'm, 
I, what I will say on this, in, in closing on this aspect is, I believe that obviously, even though we disagree on this, I've always believed that you are saved and you're a Christian. And I don't think that that, I, it, has not, it has no bearing on my, my respect for you as a Christian. I just, I'm concerned about preaching this as a doctor. It's come up a few times on the Bible Thumper podcast already mm-hmm. where you mentioned this. And of course, I always, I always get a little bit nervous when I hear people preach that just because I, I am concerned that we're going to be misleading people and it's this sloppy, sloppy grace message where they can go do whatever they want. And they're still going to heaven. So anyway, okay, hold on, hold on. Now, look on. Oh, Caleb, come on. You know, I love you more than anything in this world. You, could, you couldn't hurt my feelings or offend hopefully wife, me. Hopefully your wife is. <laughs> okay, now follow me now. Look at the other side of the coin. Okay. Is there a danger in telling people that this is what you do to get saved? And you see the problem? That and all of a sudden because people start just belief, which is all okay. required. In first so, so, so now people are living their life thinking, do I still believe if I don't believe, if I don't believe enough, then I might not have it. Okay. So what, what I was just saying, closing on that is I have for the last several years of my life, I grew up pretty much convinced most of my life that I was probably going to help. Okay. Because I grew up with, a, a lot more than I mean, I've come I've come a lot closer to where you're at but I grew up believing that I was that my salvation was very much based on works and what I will say to that now is I didn't used to know if I could, if I if I was saved if I was going to heaven for the last several years of my life I've walked when I say several 12 12 years I've walked with assurance of salvation knowing that if I die tonight I'm going to heaven I've never I, I, I never wake, wake up one morning and I'm like wait do I still believe enough is there enough belief? It's just a simple fact of, I believe in Jesus. I'm trusting him. He's my salvation. And, and it's settled for me. My salvation is settled. Now, if, if I was to two years from now, if I become an atheist, I say, this whole God thing is ridiculous, whatever. Um, would I, would I want to guarantee myself today that, 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 that version of me that I could look back and see in writing that I said, you know, that no matter what you do, if you ever don't believe in him again, that you're still saved. That's, that's the only liability that I'm saying. I'm not saying if I, if I wake up tomorrow and I realize he told a lie, do I have to wonder, am I still going to heaven? That's not okay. what I'm saying. We all sin. Okay. Uh, and I get it, Caleb. Please understand. I get you are not saying lost through sin. You are talking about lost through unbelief, rejection and unbelief. Is that safe? Okay. Exactly. So we have to figure out a couple things. Number one, we got to say that our name is scrubbed out at, out of at least one book, Right. So it wasn't written in there with ink, certainly wasn't written in there with blood. It was written in there with a pencil, kind of one of them little mechanical ones real softly because we're not sure where we're going to end up. So it's got to be erasable. Okay. Number two, we got to say that the blood of Christ has to be removed from our souls, right? Because that's what happens. Bible says that. Number three, we have to believe that the Holy Spirit of God no longer is in residence in our heart. He takes up residence in our heart when we get saved, and we got to believe that the Holy Spirit of God now leaves. So is that what you're saying, that those three things, and those are just the three off the top of my head, but we're going to say that those three things happen when we drift over into the place of non-belief and we reject God and we say, I don't want anything to do with God again? I I suppose I should probably study up on, on more of that. And like I said, I, I honestly hope that you're right. I've, I always have. I hope this was that was correct. I just would be uncomfortable preaching it. Um, okay, is, that's my that's my point. Just the, the liability that it carries to preach that is my that's my only concern. So okay, 
we should get to, because I told Johnny Waldner that I would get on to James chapter two, where it talks about faith without works is dead. Okay. Now that verse, I agree with wholeheartedly, but what people do is they think that that works is part of saving faith. And that's the way that people read it. And I would say that, no, your faith is dead. It is worthless. It is ineffectual. It can't do anything. A Christian who is saved, and keep in mind, we're, we're assuming that what Patrick says about um, uh, eternal security from what the way that I read the Bible, we're going we're gonna to rest on that as the doctrine. So the idea is that I'm saved and I am not really doing anything as far as works. I am not obeying God. I'm disobedient. The only way I serve God is that a, as is as a bad example. And at that point, my faith is dead. There is no point. It doesn't benefit anything. There is no fruit there. And because of that, it is unable to help anyone. And the, the number one thing that Jesus uh, uh, told us to do right, right before he uh, ascended into heaven was get them saved, get them baptized, teach them everything. Okay. And we are just supposed to replicate that over and over and over and over and over again until we get to heaven. And the fact is Christians are unable to do that replication process. They are, they are ineffectual. They, they have no power behind them when there is no good works in a Christian's life. There is nothing that will turn off the lost and dying world faster than a Christian up to his eyeballs in sin that just doesn't care. But in no way do I believe that uh, that uh, the works talked about in James chapter two has something to do with our saving faith. And the way that I look at it is we take the the entire Bible, mountains and mountains of scripture. Okay. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Mountains of scripture talking about how we have faith. Okay. My favorite story in the Bible is in Numbers. I believe it's chapter 21 when they all get bitten by the venomous snakes and they hold up the, the one uh, brazen serpent on the, on the pole and they hold it up in the midst of the camp. And what do they have to do so they don't die of the poison? What do they have to do, Caleb? They have to look at it. Right. That's it right? Nothing else. They just look at it, boom, and they're saved. Moses said, just look at this serpent and you'll be, and, and you will be saved. And they did it and they were saved. And it's trying to paint a picture of how easy salvation is. And how do you know that? Because later on in the book of John, we find out that Jesus compares himself to the serpent held up in the wilderness uh, all the way back then uh, by Moses in the book of Numbers. It's that simple and no works are involved. So, so that's the idea. And, and please understand, I, I understand again, Caleb, I'm getting back onto the works thing. And, and that is not what you're saying. And I've, I, I have always understood that. I have always understood that your point is walking away, not believing and rejecting. It is not, you are not concerned that people lose their salvation due to sin. Please believe me. I understand that. Now, if you do look up in the Bible, and I, and I didn't have the verse ready because we had a topic and then you hijacked it with this other topic and threw me off course. So all my Sorry. notes are just worthless for tonight. But you will find out that God talks about how you are in the palm of his hand. And then you will find out that the Bible also says that the hand of God spans the universe. A span is the distance between your pinky and your thumb. That's your span. Okay. A hand breath goes from... Uh, here to here. 
Okay, but a span is this distance. And it says that God's hand spans the universe. You're in the middle of God's hand. His hand spans the universe. And I happen to know exactly how fast you're going to need to run so that in one lifetime, you can get to the edge of God's hand and jump out. How fast is that? Oh, it is. You have to travel faster than the speed of light in order to try to get to the edge of God's hand in your lifetime so that you can jump out of it yourself. I believe it is talked about in so many different ways. It is mathematically impossible for one of us to lose our salvation once we get saved. I don't see a danger in that. That is the single most comforting doctrine that I hold to more than anything in the world is that there is nothing that can make me unborn. I cannot have the blood removed. I cannot be erased out of the book. The Holy Spirit can never, ever leave my heart. That is the most comforting thing in the world. And maybe if you were as terrible of a person as I am, uh, that would be <laughs> more comforting to you as well. Anyway, uh, Caleb, take us home. That, that was great. Uh, it was a good hour. Yeah. So uh, just I'll, a quick follow up on that point there that he, that he brought up. So I would say that that works is the result of faith. And if you don't, if you don't have the desire, like Patrick says, and this is one of the things I've always appreciated about Patrick. Uh, Patrick is observing the Sabbath right now, clearly not trying to earn his way to heaven by doing it. He posted a picture at the beginning of the evening, his family sitting down for the Shabbat dinner. And I, I have respect for any Christian that chooses to walk in obedience to God out of love for God, not out of obligation for trying to get something from God. There are promises and a lot of blessings that we will get from God when we walk in obedience to him. Salvation is different than that. It is different than us, um, than us trying to prove how, how good we are, how, uh, how holy we are. All of those things are a result of our belief in Jesus and the regeneration that comes through the Holy spirit. And so what I would say to, to hopefully wrap this thing up. I think we all agree that um, none of us are good enough to go to heaven. We don't deserve heaven and we need Jesus. So the, the answer to the question that we started the evening out with is um, do we need to be saved to go to heaven? I think absolutely we do. And that salvation comes through Jesus. Um, and so to me, as the, the simplest version of the gospel is that um, is, is when we realize the fact that we are sinners and that we do not deserve eternal life, and that there is actually eternal life beyond this. This has been the, the question that's been bothering mankind since the beginning. And obviously, we believe, if we believe in God and we believe the Bible, that one of the biggest promises that we have to look forward to in the Bible is eternal life. And the only way to achieve that promise of, of eternal life is through Jesus. So absolutely, we must be saved. And, um, and then hopefully we do, that results in, uh, in, some, in some good works that, go, that come along afterward and we get some blessings from God after the fact. Caleb, the only verse that you and I discussed today prior to this video starting, I never got to bring up. So I'm going to bring it up right now. Okay. So Jesus is in the garden prior to getting arrested and all the terrible things are happening to him, beatings and torture, and then finally crucifixion. And what he's doing is he departs. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So Jesus himself asked God the Father. He said, God, if there is any other way for this to work, okay, the, the plan to redeem mankind, if there is any other way for this to work other than me dying on the cross, let's do that. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. 
Jesus asked the Father, if there is any other way, let's do that. And that makes sense to me. I wouldn't have wanted to go through that. None of us would have. And they continued anyhow, because God the Father clearly looked down. He shook his head, or he said, sorry, that's the only way, son. I got to send my only begotten son to the cross to be crucified for a lost and dying world. But Jesus, Jesus actually asked if there was another way we could try to figure it out. And God said, no, you got to go to the cross. So if that's the case, then Christian, do not allow your friend to think that there is another way to get saved other than Jesus. Don't let them think being a good person, going to church, all paths lead to Jesus, all this nonsense. You know, don't let them believe it because they will end up in hell. And more importantly than I think anything in the world, I would imagine Caleb and I both want heaven to be full of all the people we have come into contact uh, with throughout our life. There's nothing more than what that than than um, that desire for Caleb and I. We want to see heaven filled with the people we know, the people we love, and even the people that we don't like very much that have come across our path. Amen. Well, if you, if you just listen to the last two minutes of this, Patrick, 100%. 100%. What a wonderful day. <laughs> and you know what's funny, Caleb? You and I have talked about this so many times, and I'm always thinking, I'm like, man, how can I convince? Oh, and you were asking, you know, is there any chance that you could be wrong? That, you know, there's, a ch I, I believe that there's a chance I could be wrong. Caleb, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I do believe there's a chance you could be wrong. And I'm, I'm more than happy to tell <laughs> to discuss this with you as often as needed in, in, or, in order to get there. But um, I, I really always love, you know, this conversation. You and I have had it so many times. It, it feels you know, like we don't ever ridiculous. get anywhere. I keep, I keep thinking some, some one of these days you're going to come around. But <laughs> <laughs> You know me well enough to know how stubborn I am. And the uh, other than an act of God, which is way more powerful than an act of Congress, uh, is, you know, is going to get me to move on something like this. But what's so funny is that our belief about salvation is so alike and down the line, it's 99.999% the same. I mean, this is literally the only thing we've ever disagreed about when it comes to the idea of salvation and going to heaven. And I find that so funny because so right. many Christians, it, it, you'd be amazed if you just started asking Christians, hey, are you are you sure you're going, or do you know, are you going to heaven when you die? You'd be amazed at how many of them are like, I hope so. Right. And that's the best they ever get to. And that scares the pants off me. Yeah. And that would have been my answer a long time ago uh, as, a, as a child. I, that mm -hmm. was my, that was my, ho I hope so. And I, I definitely don't, I don't have that anymore. I have the assurance. And I think that is partly what, through the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I, I experienced the presence of God in my life. He brings things to, to mind oftentimes that I know, you know, a, a verse or a passage or a response where I'm in a conversation with somebody and I'm like, wow, that, that was God working through me. And it's, and it's nice to have that reminder, that comforter that assures us of, of salvation, knowing that we do have the Holy spirit. And, um, but yeah, so to, to, for me, the answer is yes, I am saved. I'm going to heaven. And uh, by God's grace, that will never change. And hopefully I'm not preaching a, a false doctrine on here. I will, like you said, I will admit that I could be wrong on this uh, for sure. And uh, so Louis wonders if he won the signature roll of toilet paper. You know, I say give it to him. I think he was the first one to join in with a question. I he's got my vote. Caleb, are you going to split the vote or are you okay? I, I give it to Louis. I, 
Yeah, I, I would say let's go for it. I think he's one of the top fans on the Bible Thumper page. I noticed the other day we got some section on there that sorts him out by who's Oh, really? Yeah, like the person that likes the most and comments the most. You you can become a like a super fan or a top fan. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, folks, we're we're gonna sign off here, but don't forget, join us next week when we discuss how does tithing work. If we have not made you mad yet, come back next week. I guarantee we both have something for you. With that. I love you all. We'll be praying for you. Uh, Turn off Facebook. Turn off the interweb. Go outside for a walk. You'll feel a lot better. You don't need to listen to CNN the rest of this weekend. It'll drive you nuts. God's still in control. Caleb, any last words? Amen. God's still in control. My prayer is when I get coronavirus, I'm just hoping that it's it's a very light version and that I can survive it. Otherwise, heaven, here we come. Here we go. We're still okay. here next week. Coronavirus doesn't take us out. We'll be back with you guys next week. Thanks for joining us. Good night, everyone.